you ever see such jerky looking creatures? And one head yet. Typical Earthmen. Not really, though. The one in the middle, the one who just suffered the physical damage, he may be the very one we've been looking for. How do you mean? Silence. I'm receiving his waves. Name is Dingle. Abject coward. Does not even possess what Earth creatures call minimum muscles. Decidedly a subphysical type. I think we have found our subject. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And uh, Paul, you'll be happy to know that I watched a ton of Spinny Blade Wolf last week. Nice. That's the best show ever about uh, Spinny Blades. I like it. Yeah. So hopefully you guys uh, made it back to the appropriate time uh, through the weird clouds or whatever they were. (laughs) Yeah. Make sure you waved at the dinosaur and then hopefully you're back. Yeah, that expensive, the expensive dinosaur. Expensive dinosaur, yes. So, uh, so yeah, we we are joined uh, by a guest since we're going to be doing Mr. Dingle the Strong. We have Algoro the Strong here on Talk Without Rhythm. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? I've emerged from the time tunnel, and uh, the dinosaurs do say hello. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, Algoro from uh, Talk Without Rhythm podcast, and uh, most recently the new Five Horsemen Wrestling podcast, which I'm very excited about. Um, I don't Thank know if I've much. talked about it on this show, but I'm a big wrestling fan and, uh, having some of my favorite podcasters also including Mars, who has been on the show from, uh, uh, trick or treat radio. He's on there as well. Uh, but having some of my favorite podcasters talking about a subject that is near and dear to me, I'm really, really excited about it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's been a project a long time coming. We've had a group chat going for a better part of almost two years now of us just getting together and talking about wrestling and c- providing uh, aging male support to each other because inevitably <laughs> that t- conversations turned to that. But uh, we decided to eventually launch a podcast and uh, kicked it off with a five-hour discussion of New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 12. So if you're a fan of wrestling, you might want to check it out. If you're not a fan of wrestling, do not. Do not go in to it no one deserves to go suffer through five hours of that yeah go check out talk without rhythm if uh, <laughs> you're not i would advise people i wouldn't advise people check that out but i would like to take this <laughs> opportunity on your show to actually thank you guys for popping up on my episode 400 it was a damn good time yeah well thanks for having us on i'm sorry i was in the uh midst of uh fever and <laughs> the flu symptoms so i don't remember much of it but I think I had a good time. <laughs> well, we have we have uh, recorded evidence of, of what you said, and it was very entertaining. So there you go. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All that... I remember is Ansel Eggborn. So go listen to that to find out. <laughs> Ansel <laughs> Eggman. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. So we do, we do appreciate that. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot of talk about a lot of movies and like, that's, if I could just freeze time, that's probably all I would do. So that was very fun to do that. So thank you for having us on your show and, and congrats again on 400. That's, you. you know, that's, um, <laughs> you think about TV shows only running, like, you know, everyone's like, Oh, I made a hundred episodes. It's like, that's pretty impressive. 400. You, you have left a lot of other people in the dust and that's, that's amazing. So. Thank, thank you very much for that. It's uh, been a long trip, but it's not going to end anytime soon. <laughs> and the Twilight Zone only has 160 some episodes, so I don't know what we're going to do. But <laughs> well, <laughs> take that cultural milestone <laughs> of science fiction and fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> my Podunk podcast from Northeast Ohio has beaten you. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we have plans once we get through this. <laughs> like I said, hopefully Jordan Peele will be uh, ready to go with his new series so we can just jump onto that we're just and gonna, be relevant again. <laughs> we're just going to watch all, every episode of One Step Beyond and talk about that. That's what we're going to do because I bought that set for a dollar, so we're going to watch every episode. Uh, anyway, uh, enough enough about uh, shitty $1 TV shows. Um, we are here to talk about Mr. Dingle the Strong, uh, Season 2, Episode 19, air date March 3rd, 1961. Uh, number one song is a song called Pony Time by Chubby Checker. I f- failed to listen to the song, so I don't know what it is. I hope it really is about ponies. That'd be amazing. Um, number one film is still 101 Dalmatians. Uh, and I couldn't find anything for March 3rd of importance, but on March 1st, uh, JFK, very new to the office, established the Peace Corps. So I thought that was kind of uh, important. Yeah. Very cool. In, in response to... Uh, 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 alien takeovers, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. It's entirely possible. Yeah. I don't know. It's just almost like you had a leader put in office that wanted to make the world better within his first few, few weeks in office. I just, that's the science fiction anymore. But hey, whatever. It's, it's Twilight Zone. All right. They got so. quiet. <laughs> current events oh god yeah Um, so we'll jump into cast and crew here this episode was directed by our old friend john bram who uh appropriately enough also directed time enough at last which el goro was on last time to speak about with us um he also did judgment night four of us are dying mirror image and a nice place to visit so all pretty heavy hitters as far as uh season one stuff Mm -hmm. so we'll have to see he's got maybe about uh 10 more episodes or so to go after this so hey, he not also the last di- time he also directed mirror image yes yeah yeah with, with the greatest with the greatest special effect at the <laughs> end um that i'm pretty sure they could have put a claymation dinosaur there and i've been happier with it but yeah i, I don't know that i i think he's uh, continuing his streak of uh, great special effects <laughs> but i'm sure we'll get into that as this episode progresses <laughs> yeah yes we will uh so the teleplay <laughs> was written by rod serling um, and then the cast, we have Burgess Meredith uh, as the titular Luther Dingle, who was also in Time Enough at Last, and the reason El Gore is joining us again. Um, next up, we have James Westerfield as Anthony O'Toole, the bartender. He was actually in uh, Hang Em High that Paul just watched for a year of the Western last year. And I couldn't remember. Did you do True Grit? I did. Okay. Well, he's also in True Grit. So yep. there you go. Um this was his only Twilight Zone appearance, probably most well-known for uh, his role on, on the waterfront. And then he was in a few different movies playing a reoccurring role as like a comedic police officer. So, yeah, I could see that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I guess a uh, bartender was one of those roles that he uh, <laughs> he played quite a bit throughout his career because <laughs> I believe he was the bartender in uh, on the waterfront as well. So one of those character a- actors uh, next up. 
Uh, we got Don Rickles as the unnamed better in this, um, who just passed away, unfortunately, last April. Uh, probably most well known for, at least as far as what I know for, is uh, Dean Martin's Celebrity Roast. He was a reoccurring comedian on there. And then uh, Mr. Potato Head on Toy Story films. You hockey puck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately, this was his only Twilight Zone episode. And uh, this was filmed at a time when he was like real up and coming stand up comedian. So it was awesome to see him in this. So, um, yeah, I, I was reading up about him because uh, I like I love Don Rickles. Like he was always yeah. that guy like they call him Mr. Warmth, right? He was just he the constant insult comic. However, he got this because when he was started doing comedy, people would heckle him and his responses were funnier than the, the act that he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he realized that the audience was popping more for him, making fun of people. And that's kind of what happened. He just kind of ended up like falling into it. And I mean, better, you know, he was really good at it. Right. And I, I just got to mention, though, because we've got Don Rickles on here and this is the only time he's on the Twilight Zone. He was in Dirty Work as the theater manager that harassed Norm MacDonald and um, oh, the other guy, uh, Artie Lang. And I, I just I that's that's one of those movies that is a bad movie, but I love it. So I have to yeah. mention Dirty Work. Yeah, I, I have plenty of uh, bad comedies that I love, so I can uh, <laughs> I can definitely uh, see that. So next up, we have Eddie Ryder as Joseph J. Callahan. Couldn't really find much on him. It was, this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. Um, I don't know if either of you two have anything about him. Uh, Not a lot of t- a lot of TV work, apparently. Yeah, yeah. His, yeah, his television career began at age 29 playing a high school boy. Uh, and uh, what was it? An Adventures of Superman episode titled My Friend Superman with George Reeves. So he was playing a high school student at age 29. So hmm. it's, you know, I mean, so we all make fun of like Beverly Hills 90210. It was happening well before that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> way, way before that. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Douglas Spencer as the first Martian. So it's his only Twilight Zone appearance. He also appeared in uh, This Island Earth in The Thing from Another World. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, this was his last role. He uh, he died uh, due to diabetes shortly after filming and never got to see the release or airing of this episode. So unfortunate. Um, he also popped up in uh, Paul's favorite Western Shane. <laughs> yes. Oh, I wrote that. that. <laughs> I wrote he played Axel Swede Shipstead. Oh, he was the Swede. That's right. He was the Swede. Yeah. Uh, I wrote I, in my notes, I wrote in Shane and then I wrote, Hmm, that's all I wrote about that. <laughs> but this was actually, this was actually shot in August of, um, uh, 1961 so like he actually uh well yeah no i'm sorry no this was shot in the summer of 1960 but it aired in march of 61 so with like less than three months after he filmed this he passed away and that's just uh, it's weird seeing because we with this happened with uh uh the baseball one um casey at the bat i think it was, what it was uh, called the mighty casey mighty casey yeah. that's different. yeah uh it, like knowing that you're seeing some scenes with someone that didn't quite make it past like a little past production and that was weird to me. Like once I learned that, it, the second viewing was kind of, kind of odd. Just knowing that this was like this guy's last weeks on Earth, and he didn't even know it. Yeah, yeah. not not the most dignified way to end one's <laughs> career. But yeah, uh, I was gonna say shoved in a uh, terrible looking alien robot body. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and then the other Martian uh, in that terrible robot body or robot body, <laughs> excuse robot, me, robot. was Michael Fox, who played the Doctor on the Nightmare as a Child episode, and I. 
believe we discussed it at the time. He is the reason why Michael J. Fox had to register at the Screen Actors Guild with the, the J. J. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was yep. also the one responsible for the Fox effect. We talked about that before where he was yeah. part of that, that college experiment. Just to, If you just keep talking in a regular tone of voice with uh, just jumbled information, people will be like, oh, okay. And they won't actually absorb anything. So, I, yeah, go back and listen to that episode. It's really fascinating. Yep. And then the last person I took notes on was James Milholland, who plays Jason Abernathy, the TV host in this episode. Uh, He was Mr. Arm Brewster from After Hours, which was a pretty memorable character from last season. So figured I'd bring that up. And then that was all I took notes on. So I don't know if you guys have any anyone else uh, worthy of mentioning. I have um I have Phil Arnold who is listed as man so who knows who this, who this guy was <laughs> yeah all the reason I'm listing him is because it said like if you go to his IMDb page it says selected filmography <clears throat> excuse me I'm getting choked up about this it says it's a mad 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 world and then parentheses deleted scene so he's his selected filmography <laughs> is being in a film and but not being in the film like that has to be like the biggest insult like he was known for mad 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 world but he wasn't actually in the movie. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And then Robert McCord, who we know who's been in like every episode of Twilight Zone, he was a customer in this one. So keep, if you guys are at home keeping score, this is another Robert McCord episode. Collect all like 36 he was in. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that does it. So uh, I believe we can let Mr. Serling take it away here. Uniquely American institution known as the Neighborhood Bar. Reading left to right are Mr. Anthony O'Toole, proprietor who waters his drinks like geraniums, but who stands four square for peace and quiet and for booths for ladies. This is Mr. Joseph J. Callahan, an unregistered bookie, whose entire life is any sporting event with two sides and a set of odds. His idea of a meeting at the summit is any dialogue between a catcher and a pitcher with more than one man on base. And this animated citizen is every anonymous better who ever dropped rent money on a horse race, a prize fight, or a floating crap game and who took out his frustrations and his insolvency on any vulnerable fellow barstool companion with an arms and fist reach. And this is Mr. Luther Dingle, a vacuum cleaner salesman whose volume of business is roughly that of a valet at a hobo convention. He's a consummate failure in almost everything, but is a good listener and has a prominent jaw. And these two unseen gentlemen are visitors from outer space. They are about to alter the destiny of Luther Dingle by leaving him a legacy, the kind you can't hardly find no more. In just a moment, a sad-faced perennial punching bag who missed even the caboose of life's gravy train will take a short constitutional into that most unpredictable region that we refer to as the Twilight Zone. I think Surly made up the Fox effect. I don't know if they needed him to. to yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is so, uh, there is so much name dropping at the beginning of this episode. I was really seriously is. taking down notes, writing down everyone's name only to find out that it doesn't matter who anyone's <laughs> name and what anyone's name is in this episode. Um, I, I mean, I guess Dingle needs the name, but his name is only there. I would assume for a comedic effect. <laughs> yeah. So, 
it, it, they could have just called him the bookie, the better, the bartender, and then Dingle. But a lot of time wasted going into all that. <laughs> that guy, the strong. That should have been called. That should have been named the episode. Yeah. And then this guy. <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I could kind of see what he was going for. I mean, the the presentation of the opening narration did kind of make it feel like they were trying to establish a tone of quintessential Americana and all of these little things. But uh, it really did feel like he was kind of spinning his wheels a bit. Yeah. yeah, it feels like always the longer the introduction by Serling, the more you realize that he's like, I don't know if I got this, you know, yeah. like, and that's a bummer because like he does, he has a really good way with words, but then there's also times you can just tell like he's kind of padding this and I don't know, it just, it, this one felt weird. And then again, having it broken in two, which we've seen this before in other episodes, it was just, it, I, it, it was weird and um, I shouldn't hold it against the episode. I just feel like he, this premise was very, it's a very weird premise for a, a show. And I don't think he had the confidence just to kind of let it speak for itself. And that's kind of no. what, what I felt about it. It really does feel like he's trying to elevate the material a little bit. I, I know he's had uh, bouts where he had lack lack of confidence in what he was doing and the work he and the the worthiness of his work it really does feel like he's trying to elevate what is essentially a screwball comedy yeah, yeah. um so uh, you know how the screwball comedies go on our show uh, <laughs> we're never necessarily the biggest fans of them um, nope. i will say i think this is the strongest of the comedies we've seen i don't know it, i don't know if you agree with me paul or uh well, Algoro, are you talking but, are you talking about the the ones that Sterling's written because i feel like I still feel like my favorite comedic episode is still the chaser, but that's not the same type of comedy. But that I thought he was not- just making a joke about it being the strongest no, of the comedies. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> no, no, I <laughs> I didn't even catch that. Well played. Yeah, wasn't trying to make that pun, but um, I, no. Out of all the screwball comedies, there's some that uh, lean more on just quirkiness rather than straight comedy. But this one definitely is in the same world as like Mr. Beavis. But I think this is the strongest one out of those. This feels well, like a Mr. I, Beavis episode. I'm, I'm sorry, Algora. This, this feels like a, a tossed off Mr. Beavis script idea. Um, so it, yeah. it, it really does. And on its surface, it is a very simple little narrative. And it's a simple little story. And you could very easily see it fitting in with those comedic uh, Twilight Zone episodes. The only thing I find is that the presence of Burgess Meredith helps elevate it. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but there's one scene in particular that feels almost out of place with how light the rest of the film is. And I don't know if anybody other than uh, Burgess Meredith could have imbued it with as much emotion as came across uh, on the screen. Yeah, it seems like there is a lot he added to this character Mm -hmm. that probably wasn't on the page when he on the teleplay. So yeah, we should, we should probably get into the plot here so we can talk about it a little bit more openly. I thought you were going <laughs> to the plot. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, sure. I'll start it. So, right. uh, so <laughs> I was like, uh, was, and now Paul go. is questioning, bring me on the show. No, 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 no. I just, I, Kevin, that was great. I love that. He's like, no, we're talking about the plot. Nothing. All right. So <laughs> I, I throw it over to you. <laughs> um, so we start off in a bar and, um, there, there's the bookie and Don Rickles, uh, arguing over a, a sports bet. 
Uh, the bookie wants his $5. Don Rickles is coming up with every reason why he should not give him his $5. And they eventually end up bringing uh, Dingle into the argument. And Dingle being very uh, mousy and quiet. And he has he has a very... You can tell that he has a speech impediment in the sense that he's very slow with some of the ways he says things. But he doesn't want to take a side. Rickles is kind of harassing him. And then when he finally makes a decision... Um, Rickles punches him, right? He roughs him up and throws him over the bar and then apologizes immediately. Well, and then goes right back to like griping about things, which I'm thinking if you punch somebody over the bar, you shouldn't be in the bar anymore. But that just, the, the bartender was like, you've done this three times already. You know, this is going to happen again. Why do you have Don Rickles in your bar? Well, that's yeah. the thing. He and he actually uh, threatened the book, the bookie that you know if you start another fight yeah, in here, I'm going to kick you out of my bar. And yet, Don Rickles can routinely beat the crap out of Burgess <laughs> Meredith, and nothing happens to him. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. But he does step in, and uh, he's basically trying to tell Dingle, like, why can't you just be neutral? Just nod your head. Just <laughs> just go with it. Like, this happens all the time. Um, and that's when we get the introduction of the aliens. Yeah. Um, which, the look of the aliens is goofy, but I kind of love it. Yeah. It, um, it, it fits into that mold of just the the kitschy, lame alien that nevertheless is is very endearing to me. It's Which very is, much Kodo uh, and Spoiler, Kodos and they're not even the lamest aliens in this episode. So. <laughs> no, they are not. <laughs> oh. But did you get like the Kodos and Kang? Like like that the whole the whole thing of like the Simpsons aliens, like from that, from those two guys? Like oh, how yeah. they're kind of like connected. Yep. I mean, these guys are literally connected, but those two always feel like they're in tandem. Uh, but I loved I loved the little pointy hair coming off the top of the ears that I didn't understand. And then, like, I just the really big foreheads and then the, the the antenna coming out of it was like, it's like they just took every single thing and was like, sure, that works. And I get this supposed to be comedy, but man, it was like they didn't turn out a single idea for these aliens. Um, and and they and they're kind of going in like a mobile tank suit of some sort, which I appreciate. In the intro, you see them trucking along, and they have an invisibility field, so no one can see what's going on except for the viewer and Rod Serling, who's sitting in the bar watching the aliens go by. Yeah, yeah, because Rob Rob Serling is the om, omnipresent watcher of everything going on in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> That's sadist. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you, you find out that the the, the Martians are there uh, to observe, but then also to test um, to find the weakest to test their strength enhancing rayon. Um, and, and then they have these weird lights on the front that look like twisty nipples or whatever. And, and they decide that they're going to pick Dingle because he, he is the weakest one they found so far. And they're going to give him like 500 times the strength of a normal man. If I, if 300. I remember 300, sorry, I'm giving yes. him too much strength. Um, <laughs> and I do like, I like the moment whenever they give him the strength, there's a nice light that comes on and he almost has like a religious epiphany type of Mm -hmm. look on his face. That's actually a kind of a nice way of just showing that whatever it is, is affecting him. And I like that moment. Again, the strength of uh, Burgess Meredith. Absolutely. Because they're (laughs) effectively just like shining a light bulb at him. And like his performance totally sells that there's actually something happening here. Um, yeah, because yeah, the light bulbs are goofy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> he, d- he just has that incredibly expressive face. And you could see how another actor would probably play it broader and bigger. I mean, you could just imagine, in any take any n- number of the comedic actors that have showed up on Twilight Zone and imagine the convulsions they'd go through in order to uh, sell this effect. But no, Burgess just yeah. goes ramrod and it's like, it's all in the eyes, it's all in the expression. 
And I liked it whenever, yeah. like, the, to st- take a step back, I forgot to mention, when, when Rickles is kind of verbally assaulting him, the way that his face kind of rolls with it is very, very effective. It's kind of like he wants to get a word in edgewise, but he also doesn't want to say anything. And just he, like, you're absolutely right. He, he makes this episode better than it has any right being because he's able to act without saying anything. And I feel like this is a time in, in, you know, in filmmaking and television making where that isn't always an inherent skill of an actor. So I really appreciated it. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to dig up, uh, before we get too far, his stutter in this episode. or uh, I, I guess it's not necessarily a stutter. It's just more of like a timid speech uh, uh, issue that he has. But um, I would assume that's something that Burgess Meredith brought to this role. I was trying to find out if that was something that Serling wrote into the character or if that was him, but I, I'm going to assume that it was uh, Meredith who brought that to this character. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I, I do know that the, apparently there's a short story that uh, preceded this episode, but I couldn't even find out who wrote the story. There's a reference to it that I was I was able to come across where they actually gave the aliens names, but uh, I, I don't even know who would have originally wrote, written this. Yeah, let me, uh, uh, Paul, talk for a minute. I'm going to grab that <laughs> book that I picked up in October. I can't reach it from here. Um, um, I, I couldn't find it's anything. in that yeah. New Stories from the Twilight Zone book that uh, Serling wrote in the 70s. Hmm. Let me double check. Yeah, so in the three volumes that I have to dig through, there was nothing about the the possible speech impediment, um, mm. and which I thought that would be kind of big. Uh, there's actually not a ton of information about this episode, which, considering how like practical effects heavy it is, that that was surprising to me. And then um, also, I, I, there's just a note in there that Don Rickles loved Burgess Meredith, and they said that like whenever the, the they'd uh, stop between takes. Uh, Burgess Meredith was just giving it to him as much as Don Rickles was giving it to him. So I really wish. <laughs> See, I want yeah. I want those outtakes. Yes, I that's what I'm saying. See. Yeah, I, I want them. I want to see what he said back to him. I, I think that would have been great. Because you have to know that when the cameras were turned off, they were probably swearing up a storm with each other. Yeah. And it was, there was a quote in there somewhere where he's like, he's Don Rickles is like, screw the director, whoever cares about him. And he starts talking about Burgess Meredith. That was a great quote. So I appreciated that. <laughs> Very nice. Um, no, there it, is. it was it was not in the uh, in the book that I picked up, but it's in a it's in another thing called more stories from the Twilight Zone. And it was written by Rod Serling. Okay, um, So he just expanded his original teleplay into a story. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I, it, I believe he took uh, quite a few of his teleplays and did the same thing. So it so, wasn't in the one that I own, but looks like I have something else to hunt down now. Well, Kevin, I appreciate I appreciate your feet of feet of strength picking up that book to find out what was in it. So yeah, that's I, very I unplugged my headphones during the process wow. too. So <laughs> I'm off to a good start here tonight. Yeah. So so the, the the nipple light ray gives him like you know strength, but he doesn't realize it yet. And he's being shown the door. The bartender's just like, you know, hey, you know what, Dingle? Maybe you should just learn. Like, people ask you questions, just nod and smile. Like, basically, just keep your opinion to yourself. And that way you won't get beat up. That's the worst advice ever, but whatever. And as, um, you know, Dingle goes to grab the door, which I just want to point out, that door is like one and a half times size of a door. Like, it's really wide. 
Mm. It's weird. He grabs it and just pulls it off its hinges. Well, actually, he also takes his his uh, vacuum cleaner and tosses it up in the air like it's light of, light as a feather. I forget about all the different like examples of strength in this. It kind of all blurs together. Um, but he's surprised that the the vacuum cleaner is super light and lighter than usual. And he goes into his little sales pitch about the vacuum cleaner and realizes what he's doing. And then he goes and pulls the door off the hinges. And um, the one the bet the bookie guy yeah. is so um surprised by this he takes a shot and then tosses it over his shoulder for comedic <laughs> effect and i love how nonchalant the bartender is about that too <laughs> i mean he just says it's like i thought you were a nice guy and there you are wrecking my door <laughs> yeah yeah like that's... everybody's really nonchalant about a lot of stuff going on in this episode <laughs> yeah, except true. the lady in the park but we'll get to her yeah oh yeah <laughs> All right, so we cut to commercial break, and we come back, and uh, we if we get uh, um, Dingle going up to a house, and there's a little kid standing <laughs> in the street, and he says that his dad told him not to come back there trying to sell his vacuum cleaners, or he's going to punch him in the nose or something along those lines, and the kid throws a football at him. Yeah, it um, tags him in the back of the head. You yeah, know, like even like I even wrote in my notes, even the kids give Dingle shit. Like they just don't care about him. Oh and, yeah. yeah. Um, but then Dingle gets the ball and he's like, well, go for the, f- go for the pass, which is something I'm sure Burgess Meredith has never said before. And then he goes and then chucks the football like, and it, and it's, a, I, it goes so far. It's like happy Gilmore, like distance. I was just going to say, reminded me of, uh, <laughs> he th- and he threw it so hard that it briefly turns into a lighting effect. Yes. Um, <laughs> but then there's a guy who's there's painting. Those mirror, there's those mirror, mirror, uh. Yeah, or mirror image. I keep getting those confused, but that there's your mirror image special effects right there. Yeah, and then there's a guy who's painting who sees it and can't believe it. He falls off the ladder, you know, like that. You get that. (laughs) And then there's a guy reading this newspaper where the ball goes flying through his house and breaks through a door, and that that's what happens to the football. Like we never know what happens at that point. Um, both, yeah. times, both times I watched the episode in preparation for this, I had to yell out after the it went through his window, damn you, Adams! <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I love the 90s Adams Family movie, and I will ap- apologize to no one about that. Perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, this episode, from the moment that he rips the door off the hinges, turns into a gag fest. Like, it's it's just one after another. Um, cause immediately after throwing the ball, he hails a taxi, he goes, rips the handles off. Then as I think the guy's about to start driving away and he tries to stop him and lifts the car up on its side. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Like, I, it was kind of weird how it happened, but interesting effect. Um, it causes the painter to fall off his ladder again, by the way. Yep. Yeah. I'm actually curious how they did the car lift thing. If they had something rigged up on the other side to lift it, if they simply hollowed it out and did like a fiberglass frame, because it, it looked like a, you know, for a cheap episode like this, it actually looked like a pretty convincing effect. Yeah, yeah those, I was going to yeah. say, if they're hauling it up from the other side, like that timing would have been had to have been perfect because it looked like he was actually moving it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and those so, cars were a lot heavier back then than they are now. So, yeah, I wonder how they did that. Yeah, it's too bad. Like you said, there's not more written about this episode because. For you know the the episode night might not be that deep, but there's just so much going on effects wise that I'd love to find out how they did some of the stuff. Uh, well, I guess just that one. Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> the rest of them are pretty now awesome. that I think about it. The, yeah, the statue uh, one and the bench one are actually kind of interesting too because I didn't see anything super outside the frame that could cause that to happen. You know, which is hilarious because some of the special effects they didn't do a very good job of hiding certain things, but we'll get to that yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then after that, that's when he goes to the bench 
park bench and he's kind of like thinking it over and then the woman just shows up with her you know, a baby in a carriage and then she sits down and he's just like hey can, can i bother you and she's like sure what's going on he's like do i look abnormal to you which is not what you want to say to a person you've never met before while sitting on a park bench but she's like, no, no, why? And he kind of goes into kind of what's going on. And he's like, can I, can I show you something? Or he's like, can I? And then he goes and lifts up the bench while she's sitting on it, and she freaks out, which is the correct response. Very much so. <laughs> but this was actually the scene that I was alluding to earlier where he's kind of uh, giving his description of his life, how he was going oh, around yes. and he was failing to sell his vacuum cleaner. It's all still presented in a, in a pretty comedic context, particularly with the payoff of him lifting up the bench. But because it's Burgess Meredith, he actually manages to put in a bit of pathos into the line delivery there. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I was legitimately feeling for Dingle in this scene. And it's kind of co- seemed at all with the more or less slapstick nature of the rest of the episode. But to me, it, it really helped elevate the material into something better. Yeah, he's not as depressing as uh, his character in Time Enough at last, but no. it, uh, <laughs> it's it's definitely along the same lines. I would, uh, yeah, I would well, agree with that. It does feel out of... Not necessarily out of place, but uh, just better than this episode. Well, no, because he's talking about his lot in life before today, right? He mentions how he wasn't making much money and how he was pretty much working at a loss and how he sold an attachment to a drunk and that was like his biggest sale. And that kind of made the woman on the bench laugh because he was kind of having a laugh with her saying like, you know, like, you know, I got one over on him, but at least I got something right. And it's like there was a genuine, uh, you know, niceness there. And then he goes and scares the hell out of her. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I learned a new word. I've never heard the word masher before. Yeah, I assure you, I'm not a masher. I don't know. Yeah. What the, like, I don't know I'm what that still means. Not exactly sure what that is. Uh, I found the definition. Uh-oh. It's a uh, a man who attempts to force his unwelcome attentions on a woman. Huh. Feels like a term we should bring back. <laughs> yeah. It seems oddly uh, appropriate right now. <laughs> Hashtag masher. Oh. <laughs> Yes. Oh man, no more mashing. No more mashing. Um, so so yeah, he lifts up this bench, which is actually kind of effective how he gets around it and lifts it up, and she's still on the bench and she reacts to it, um, and then he puts it oh, down. She reacts. Yeah, she does. Oh, yeah. And then he goes over and starts grabbing rocks and ripping them apart like um, I don't know, like the way the way he handles them is not. I don't like if you're going to crush a rock or open it like or, or crack it open, it still it felt it looked awkward to me. I don't know how like I'm, I'm and I'm sure that's just the way the prop was and I get it, but it's I, if I had the strength to, to break open a rock, I don't know if I would do it. Like, look like he was opening up a peanut. I don't know. I don't know yeah, how to describe like, it. He was like twisting an Oreo yeah. or something. <laughs> I think I would be inclined to do the uh, Riccio throw it up in the air and punch it type thing if I had super strength. Right. Oh yeah, that's how that's how I'd break everything. <laughs> exactly. Just throw it up in the air and punch it. Rocks. Oh, the taxi you're trying to drive away, throw it up, punch it. Oh. <laughs> I have breath control. What do you want? <laughs> just punch, break eggs that way. You should practice in the kitchen. Start with some raw eggs and just break the. Yeah, I'm sure that that'll go over really great. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? I'm punching eggs. eggs. Yes. <laughs> The, the recipe thought, called for two eggs I, beaten. That's what I'm trying to do right now. I thought, I thought that's how everyone works out. But <laughs> um, but as he's breaking the rocks open, a reporter just shows up. I was like, hey, I'm a reporter. Could you do that again? I don't know if that's how reporting works, but I like it. Um, so he's I, uh, just the freelance uh, masher reporter wandering yeah, around the park. Yeah, I was going to say he was, uh, he was trying to catch some mashers in action. He was traveling <laughs> the park beat. Yeah, so there's some some broken rocks, and then and then Dingle picks up the statue and lifts it up. And I, I like the gag though of how the statue has its arm in the air and its hat off, or it's like it's um 
holding its hat, I think. Either way, he does he does the exact same pose while holding the statue, and I like that. And that was an image from this episode that stuck with me because this is one that I actually saw when I was a kid um, in the various sci-fi channel marathons of the Twilight Zone. And it caught my attention because it was Burgess Meredith, and I, of course, knew him from uh, Time Enough at Last. I knew him from the Penguin in the Batman series. I knew him, of course, from Rocky. So I was like, all right, I'll watch this. And there are certain little bits that just stuck with me through the years. Uh, the statue was one of them, and the looks of the aliens, particularly the ones yet to come, those definitely <laughs> stuck with me over the years. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. For as many complaints as we might have about this episode and the storyline, like the, some of the imagery is definitely, uh, unforgettable. Um, so next up we see the newspaper and the headline is Hercules and you have uh, dingle on the cover. <laughs> yeah. And then somehow like immediately because that story got published, everyone knows to find him at the bar and he's being surrounded by like, you know, TMZ or whatever, you know, everybody's just there and they're all like, no, 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 you should do TV. And the one guy's like, no, 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 I can get you a prize fight. And then someone's like, no, no, no. Like they're all trying to get his attention. And he's kind of, he has that kind of moment of like strutting. Like he's not, like he's just like kind of absorbing it. He's like, yeah, I am important kind of thing. And not really paying attention to anybody in particular. He's just letting all the offers and praise come to him. And I thought that was interesting that he was able to take that character that was very meek and pushed around and kind of have that moment of like, I'm letting the world come to me. Because I kind of well, like we, that. And we had a scene kind of establishing that when he was waking up in his room. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I he, about. he did his little pose down in front of the mirror. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Burgess Meredith is not a large man. <laughs> yes. But you would think that when he would flex a little bit would come up there. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it was an obvious scene to do. But just the way he played it and just the presence of Burgess Meredith, it may just be my abiding fandom for the man showing through. It was endearing to me. It's like, ah, oh, that's adorable. Yeah, I, I completely I, forgot I, about the clock and the mirror and everything. I forgot about that whole sequence. So I, yeah. I <laughs> um, I, sorry, Kevin. Yeah, I, I feel like Serling is trying to punish him a little bit uh, in this episode for uh, trying uh, trying to use his his power, I guess, for not necessarily the best <laughs> ways or in the best ways. Um, but I feel like he deserves that little bit of. Uh, a little bit of happiness in this episode. It, the man is so obviously beaten down throughout the rest of his life. Like I feel good for him in these scenes. And then what ends up ultimately happening, happening to him seems a little bit uh, mean, <laughs> especially with that, uh, with the atmosphere of this episode being so comedic and everything. Uh, well, it does seem mean spirited from Serling. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's going around, he's showing off to the TV crew. He's smashing things. He pick, picks up Don yeah. Rickles and starts spinning him in the air. And we get a sign <laughs> of the worst stunt double. Right? Ever. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's terrible. Oh, it's, it's all it's, of the wires are right there. Well, like, that's not even Burgess that's usually Meredith something that's pretty yeah. endearing to me, but that whole thing is goofy. It's like all they attempted to do is like, okay, we need a, we need an old guy who's around the same height as Burgess Meredith. And they ended up going with this bull faced looking guy. Yeah. Like Jimmy that, Durante <laughs> there underneath uh, Don Rickles spinning him for a second. I didn't understand that at all. And they weird. didn't they didn't even uh, set it up like with his back to the camera, which they easily could have done. So we get the full shot of this terrible stunt double spinning <laughs> around Don and then, Rickles. And then to top it off, I found a still from it after the fact that points out all the issues. Uh, the alien body is back there, but the heads aren't there. Yep. 
Yeah, so they just have the empty alien suit in the background of this scene. Wow. Yeah. So for all of our talk about interesting special effects, they kind of flubbed that last one. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the and second that was supposed unit to be right the there. big one of the episode, too. Uh, yeah. uh, oh, wow. Uh, um, yeah, it's, that was I, that whole that whole feats of strength thing was interesting. But also I want to mention the reporter, the guy from the after hours, how he kind of shows up and kind of chews the scenery for like the three seconds he's in it. I want to point yeah, out that he's talking to a microphone that doesn't go anywhere. Did you guys notice that? Like he had notice the that. mic cord in his hand, like it was all rolled up and it didn't run to the camera. And I was like, who are you talking to? And it was like it was just it was very obvious. Like they could have easily just run the ca- the cord off, ca- like you know, out of frame. But both times you saw him carrying that thing, it wasn't connected to anything, and it was really weird. So clearly they forgot about all sense of consistency when they got back to the bar for the second, like for the last third of this episode. It was bizarre. Yeah. And I just want to say that the TV program, the name of it was called TV Probes the Unusual. Oh. <laughs> I was like, man, that just rolls off the tongue. Well, that's, a, that's the best name for a TV show? I, I think that's with? an excellent name for a television show. All I right. want to create that show right now. Can, can <laughs> we find a camera that big and clunky and just like wheel it around and hopefully that the bar is at, at floor level and doesn't require steps or a ramp to get into? That was Because if you notice, the camera came in from the back of the bar, not the front of the bar where there was a staircase. Like yep. that was... Uh, I have questions about this universe. That's all. It's I- a little, it's a little strange. I, I, I think I was just too distracted by the television reporter who was just sweating so much. And he spent all this time dabbing off of his sweat before he get on. He the just bus. came off of the plane from the last episode. Yeah. Either that or he's, he's just tired from carrying that camera down the steps. I don't know. <laughs> he's like, listen, I just got out of this department store full of mannequins that talk and move around and stuff. I don't know. I got to move on. Um, but yeah, so, so Dingle shows like he, he's showing all these feats of strength, like the bar, like he, he looks at the bartender, like, can I, can I do this? And the bartender's like, sure. Cause he's holding all this money. I'll let you put a, put a hole in my wall. I'll let you break my table. I'll let you break the bar stool with your fingertips and bring it up. Like the bartender's happy. And I'm like, you're causing serious, serious structural damage to your establishment. That's fine. You know, that just felt a little, a little weird. He's like, I'll let you break everything. It's okay. I have money now. It's like, you could have that money and not have stuff be broken. That's also he's a thought a, too. He's the world's chillest bartender. You yeah. know, he didn't, he didn't mind when Dingle broke his door. Why would he be care if he's dramatically destabilizing load bearing struts <laughs> yes. throughout the bar? <laughs> yeah. That's when Dingle was like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, well, cause the, the Martians are watching. They got back in the yeah. suit. The guy skipped his insulin shot. I said it. Uh, so they got back in the suit. Oh, <laughs> and, Ouch. He tried and, to slip that in there. Terrible. And, and Martians, <laughs> we don't know their physiology. Um, and they said, well, this guy's clearly, he's not you know, using this for the, the greater good or whatever. They said, it's like, let's, we'll give him 30 more seconds of strength. That felt weird to me too. It's like, yeah, he's not doing good as opposed to let's just cut the, let's just stop the experiment right now. Let's just give him 30 more seconds. Let's just see what he's going to do with that. Yeah, it's just so, enough to ruin this bar for good. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> so the, you know, so the dingle says he's going to lift the bar off the foundation or something. He ends up breaking that load bearing strut. And then all of a sudden the power goes out on him and he feels it. And the look on Burgess Meredith's face is like, uh Oh, something's not right here. But he goes over and tries to recreate the three stunts he did before, and all of them fail. And then when this bar was completely behind him, they immediately just are like, screw this guy, and just start laughing at him. And then within, they, within a second, they're all gone. 
Yeah, and they literally saw him do all these things, but they immediately assumed because he couldn't do them again. Oh, it was it was all a trick. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's very it. nonchalant about everything. I'm telling <laughs> you, this whole episode. Um, it, we also get a weird thing with the aliens where uh, they make a joke about going to a planet that's uh, all female. Yeah. And like, and then like the, the right head looks at the left head of like, yeah, you serious? Like I, this, it was, it was, it was funny. Like, like I, that's why like the beginning part I have here is from the Martians dialogue. And then the last bit I have at the very end of the show is the Martians and then talking to what we're going to get to next. I really like their dialogue because it was so weird and on the nose for the episode. So I couldn't help it. I like it where he's like, these people are jerky. That's right. Martians. They are jerky. I thought yeah. that was uh, entertaining. So there was a lot of like there was a lot of different levels of humor in this episode. I just don't know if they worked, but they were trying for a couple of different things. Damn yeah. those masher Martians! <laughs> yes, yes, there there was a couple of mashers going to a planet of women next. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, so they're at least are using that word from now on. Thank <laughs> yes. you for that, Kevin. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, as soon as he said it, I had a, a I had a gleep moment where I was like, what? <laughs> What is that word he just said? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so they're leaving the bar, Those the two aliens, and two other aliens come in who are oh, uh, do kids <laughs> kids with uh, uh, dubbed adult voices over them <laughs> with quite possibly the worst alien costumes I've ever seen. And the drawn-on um, mustaches. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they have... <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Um so we find out that they're also there to do experiments on humans and they're able to give somebody 500 times intelligence. And so they recommend Dingle for the experiment because he's also probably dumb as they put it. <laughs> they <laughs> so, are not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I liked, I liked the little shimmy side to side movements they made together. That was a weird little touch about how they, they kind of operated around the bar, like the two of these kids. Um, and also the dub voices made me really, really think, feel like i was back watching those italian westerns again just the way that those 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 dubbed voices came out of nowhere and did not match the bodies at all it felt very very like um i don't know very italian and i know it's not the right thing but it was i like it's just like what are you doing here well we're here for intelligence it's like you're like six years old there's no way you have that voice <laughs> I, I, I liked it. It was it was weird. I, I I just think it was like they were throwing things against a wall. It's like, what if we had kids but with adult voices? You know, that'll be funny. We don't know why. It'll be funny. Yeah. They. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen Dude, Where's My Car? Speaking of terrible <laughs> comedies I love, uh, this whole ending felt like the end of that movie where all the aliens all converge on this one place. I kept <laughs> expecting the uh, Nordic uh, gay aliens to walk in. <laughs> Well, I mean, and, and Serling makes a reference to that as the uh, with the closing narration, suggesting that for the rest yeah. of Dingle's life, he's just going to be the subject <laughs> to alien ex- experiments. <laughs> I never thought I'd make a dude where's my car reference on uh, Strange Highway. I just want to put that out there, uh, but it just happened. So there you go. Uh, so the end of the episode, we're back with the original people there in the bar, and they're watching another baseball game. And they ask Dingle what he thinks is going to happen. And he uses his intelligence to mathematically figure out that the hitter is about to hit a home run. And, of course, it happens. And and there we leave him. Yeah. This poor guy is going to be made to be a subject of every alien that would show up that has a different thing. <laughs> and he's going to be perpetually, like, really good at something and then terrible at it immediately thereafter. Like, that is – that seems – this is probably the darkest ending of any Twilight Zone episode where it's like that's this what I'm guy, saying. Like this episode is, 
I think it's it's one of the better comedies, but it is so cruel to an otherwise like really nice character. <laughs> now I just want to imagine uh, Dingle encountering other aliens, like Dingle meets the Predator. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, this could have been another show for him. He could have uh, launched this along with Mister Beavis. Uh, you know, yeah. You know, I mean, they were they were talking about turning the uh, Penny for Your Thoughts into a show. They should have just done the the many adventures of Mister Dingle. <laughs> oh, imagine Dick York in the role of uh, Dingle. This episode would have been unwatchable. It really would have. <laughs> but at least then you would actually have a justification for some guy worrying about dying from getting punched by Dick York. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. That's a good poll there. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. This episode's not terrible. Um, some of the comedy worked, like you said, Paul. It, some of it worked. Some of it didn't. Uh, it, I just I prefer a little bit of depth with Serling's teleplays that he wrote. And I mean, you get a little bit just being able to reflect on society as an outsider from the aliens perspective and everything. And that's nice. But even that is so surface level on this that there's really not much to grasp onto there. And then even if you take it as somebody who's finally given courage to stand up for himself, like they never even explore that. You know, yeah. there, there's so many missed opportunities i feel like as far as like things he could have dug a little bit deeper in yeah and there were any sort of commentary that you could draw out of this they've explored on other episodes and they've done it better you know alien experiments bringing out the worst in people that's the monsters are due on maple street yeah Um, even if you want to start digging into you know a man who receives power that or uh can change his station they got to have done that in other episodes right yeah i mean the camera that uh, takes oh, pictures yeah, yeah. of the future. I mean, that's them exploiting their situation. And well, uh, even a penny for your I, thoughts, like that's yeah, the, like, a penny for your thought, yeah. which is very similar to this as far as like one gag after another uh, going through the episode that can feel kind of repetitive. Um, I think that one's a little bit better. This one gets a little too on the nose and repetitive with that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> but you're right, like, but we've said it so many times on the show. He's pumping out so many teleplays we're going to end up getting some recycled narratives. And then you just kind of have to pick and choose which one you like better, you know, which one works, which one doesn't. And this one, unfortunately wasn't one of his highest uh, marks as a teleplay. (laughs) Well, speaking of recycled elements, one of the things I came across when looking up stuff on this episode is originally the name, Mr. Dingle was something that uh, Serling intended for the character of Mr. Denton Mm -hmm. in Mr. Denton on Doomsday. So we could have had an alternate world, Mr. Dingle on Doomsday. Oh man. (laughs) For an episode that we didn't much care for, that would have made it way worse. I don't know why. It really would (laughs) have. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's okay. And, and Burgess Meredith is, is the reason to watch this episode. His, his reactions are great. He sells it really well. Uh, Don Rickles is like, he, he's great in this too, but he's not, he's not funny necessarily. He's just a bully, you know? And it's like, yeah. but it's great seeing him. Like, I, it makes me wonder how much of that dialogue was him versus the script talking about like, uh, cause he's complaining about the umpires and all the different things that he said was very fast and very much. It felt like him. I felt like they kind of let him just kind of be that, that, you know, that, uh, wrecking ball in the scene. And I appreciated that a lot. Yeah. That whole relationship between Don Rickles and Burgess Meredith in this is the best part of the episode for me. I mean, the, the characters, they both feel natural together. Uh, kind of realistic even though they're played to that like real cartoonish level, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I guess 
a great cast in this episode saves it from being a total failure. <laughs> I guess that's all I can say to sum it up. And like I mentioned before, this is admittedly a very throwaway episode, but it does have certain imagery that stuck with me from uh, from a uh, childhood. And even watching it as an adult now, the presence of Burgess Meredith, the presence of Don Rickles, it really does elevate the material, both in the performance they're actually giving out and going on with what we would know them from from years to come. Mm-hmm. Um the only other thing I had in my notes is I was kind of upset because John Bram, we've talked about him so much on the show, and he had an interesting past coming from uh, Germany and everything, and uh, especially time enough at last, Judgment Night, and um, maybe a little bit of Nice Place to Visit. Uh, I think it was mostly Judgment Night. We were talking about his um, German Expressionism Foundation that he brought into the stylistic uh, approach to his episodes. This episode did not feel like uh, he was uh, he was behind the camera at all. No, no, not like compared to all of his other episodes. I it was just lacking like any visual flair. And I was I felt like that was a big missed opportunity. Um, But it it was just I think it was just the wrong director for this episode. Yeah. I'm going to just argue that I feel like Douglas Hayes should direct every episode of Twilight Zone, but I know we're not going to get that again. Um, yeah, well, he would have been somebody that may have been, especially with these difficult, well, possibly difficult uh, uh, effects and everything. Like he would have been somebody good to bring in. He would have found a way to been, do it that would have break your mind because I think he was he definitely about wouldn't have left an empty alien suit in the background. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, yeah, I just yeah maybe wrong person to direct it, but I also it just like there's enough elements that are like, yeah, this is okay. But I, I don't know. Like I, I know El Goro, when you were posting about this earlier on social media about, you said something about like, you know, your reaction when people don't really uh, have the same feeling for this episode as you do. I just kind of had a feeling then. Cause I just, I, this, I've watched this twice. And within a week I'd seen it previously. It kind of hit me flat. I was, I was waiting for, for you to, uh, to, to, to show us like why you loved it. It's just more just Burgess Meredith is what I'm getting from it. Um, That's pretty much it. Yeah. And that you, nostalgia you, I'm taking out you, of it, you know, oh yeah, totally. just, the, just the memory of watching this episode when you were younger, I'm sure has a lot to do with it. Cause I know how many things in my life that I probably only like because of nostalgia. Um, it's, it's a hell of a drug, but I was, I was even reading some fan responses to this episode, you know, retrospective blog, uh, write-ups for it and there were a lot of people that were just savaging this episode eh. you know regarding it as one of the worst of the twilight zone and yeah, so that, I, 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 I didn't get it yeah i, don't yeah, I, I disagree that's one of the worst because like i said it the comedy never quite works on twilight zone at least from what we've seen so far um but i think this is the least uh <laughs> offensive uh, comedy that he's put on the air so far with the show. So yeah, I, I don't think it's a totally a total failure, no. but I'm going to leave that up to Burgess Meredith for <laughs> saving this one. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, all right. Let's just like, I, I guess there's a twist here with, with the, 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 you know, the double alien. So let's just read the twist. Um, I had seen this previously, so I'm just going to give it a three because I forgot about, the additional aliens coming to test him further. 
that was the one thing I liked a lot was like this poor person's going to be put in this whole line of different aliens being like, oh, that's the dumbest. That's the weakest. You know, let's just keep testing him. Let's what happened. Let's see what happens next. And that makes this way more darker than it should be. But I'm fascinated by that idea. Yeah. Uh, Al Gore. I'd also give it a three just for exactly what you said. I remembered the other aliens, but I remember kind of laughing at it when I was a kid. And just again, the implication, particularly with that closing narration that again, for the rest of Mr. Dingle's life, he is going to be experimented on by aliens. Hopefully one of them will decide to increase his sexual virility and we can get an X-rated Mr. Dangle. But, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it gets a three. Mr. They'll, Dangle they'll have to the bring strong. Ernest Borgnine in for that one. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Dangle the strong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm going to go uh, two and three quarters on this one because I don't quite want to give it a, a three. But uh, I, I agree with what you said, Paul. I didn't remember the second aliens coming in. Um, all I really remembered from this episode was some of the like uh, El Goro was saying some of the visuals and everything and more specifically the aliens. Uh, but I did not remember the second set of aliens. So it did catch me off guard and it uh unfair treatment of this main character <laughs> that's yeah. all i'm gonna say yep all right so i think that's going to do it for for mr dingle the strong uh kevin how can people find us uh you can find us on facebook strange highways podcast join the conversation on there also on instagram at strange highways podcast uh you can email us or leave us voicemails at strange highways podcast at gmail.com and then we're also on itunes stitcher google play uh satchel and podbean uh, you can rate and review us on there and subscribe. It would really help us out. And uh, El Goro, again, tell people how they can find you. All right. Well, I my main podcast is the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. It's a weekly podcast wherein I discuss two films that are tied together by a theme. Uh, at the time of this recording, the most recent episode is episode 401, which was my Elvis double feature released to coincide with the birthday of Elvis. And to that end, I found the John Carpenter uh, biopic, of 1979 Elvis made for TV starring Kurt Russell fun little film with uh, for the, it being the first collaboration between John Carpenter and Kurt Russell and which is also, kind of hard to find not to cut you off uh, yeah, I was trying it, it to watch be. it to to listen to it and I could not find it so I ended up watching uh, 3000 Miles of Graceland which doesn't hold up <laughs> <laughs> there there's a blu-ray that's go that uh, is back currently in print and I had I had acquired that in my effort to get all of John Carpenter's movies on blu-ray because I'm crazy like that <laughs> Yep. But uh, no, it'll be crazy when I have to pay mucho money in order to import a copy of Memoirs of the Invisible Man. Yeah, good luck. Well, <laughs> hopefully by the time you get around it, they'll actually put that one out. There you go. And I paired it up with uh, Don Coscarelli's uh, Bubba Hotep from the novella by Joe R. Lansdale. And you can find uh, Talk Without Rhythm at tworpodcast.blogspot.com. Uh, I also have a Patreon account if anybody wants to throw me money. that I uh, just started a project with that I call The Road to the Infinity War, where every week I'm doing a chronological revisiting of the 20-plus movies for over a decade of filmmaking that encompass the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all leading up to the release of Avengers and 
Infinity War. That can be found at patreon.com slash twerp. And the recently launched Five Hossman podcast, uh, the Five Hossman wrestling podcast, wherein I sit down with my buddies uh, Dynamo Mars and Johnny Wolfenstein from Trick or Treat Radio, Jakey from Cult of Muscle, and our good friend Coop. And uh, yeah, we just geek out about wrestling. Our first episode is up uh, discussing New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 12, and we plan on doing a monthly podcast because they tend to be very long. And that can be found at the5hossman.buzzsprout.com. So and then I was going to bring up, don't you have a contest going on for your Patreon as well yeah. for the uh, Akira? Yeah, uh, we, we do have Ivanka? a uh, yes. we do have a contest going on for that. Uh, for all of my Patreon subscribers, that at the end of the month, once the uh, check is cleared, as it were, that <laughs> all, all of the people who contributed to the Patreon in the month of January will be entered into a drawing for the huge and very, very beautiful hardcover box set collection of Katsuhiro Otomo's Akira manga, which, of course, provided the... Um, basis for the very excellent manga or sorry anime film Mm -hmm. basically for every dollar that you give to the show in january that'll give you one entry so you can sign up for as low as one dollar a month get access to a bunch of stuff up on the patreon including the first six years of talk without rhythm episodes and it'll give you one entry into that contest you can give me twenty dollars in the month and that will give you 20 entries it it's a fun way of giving back to the listeners, particularly since that uh, box set is well over a hundred dollars in value, and it's I have I have a copy of it myself. It's absolutely gorgeous, and I can't wait to give it away. Yeah, I'm gonna have to throw some money your way because uh, that thing looks incredible. Well, you see, I kind of hope I kind of hope it's won by one of my Ohio listeners, so I don't have to pay shipping on this thing. <laughs> yeah, I'll just pick it up. There you go. No, no, no. I, my service to you is I will drop it off at your house. But now you see, if you do win, then people are gonna say that it's like uh, I, I was tipping the scales in favor of the Northeast Ohio <laughs> Podcasting Alliance. Oh man. So my only request is when you get to Ant Man, may, may it be your shortest review ever. Like I'm talking like 30 seconds and be like at me and we're out. Like I, I think I'd really appreciate that your shortest one would be Ant-Man and it would be the smallest one. I would really, really appreciate that. Considering I've been doing these are going to be weekly. Uh, by the time I do get to Ant-Man, I might be a little bit burned out. So I might have to do these <laughs> short episodes. Yeah. You're like Paul Rudd. Great. Next one. Let's just move on. Um, Either that or I'll record a, a full 40 minute episode and I'll just play it at fast speed. Perfect. So it's oh. the bite sized edition of Ant-Man. I like it. Even better. Uh, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, but just, just real quick, when they, the movie was coming out, they had like an ad campaign in Australia where they had really, really tiny billboards by park benches. I remember had, that. Yeah, it was great. They were just advertising really small for Ant-Man. So, I, so yeah, I, I look forward to that. So, yeah, check all that stuff out. It's amazing. Um, and support Talk Without Rhythm like uh, like I do. Like Kevin doesn't, but I do. I support the Patreon, so I'm calling out Kevin now. Um, I do as well. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> Perfect. I've been on so there we for do. about a year and a half, two okay. years. Okay, then you've been supporting longer than I have, so I'm a hypocrite. So yeah, so, so go do that. Uh, so go. next episode, lay that on the table <laughs> um, and thump. Yes, Mr. <laughs> there you go. You're, you're Mr. Dangle. Um, next episode we have coming up here is another video episode. I think this is the fifth one. Uh, it's called Static. Um, I'm going to read the description and my worst Rod Serling, as in just I'm just going to read it because I'm going to mess it up. So here's the description for Static. Uh, item of consequence, a radio, a carryover from that other era when quiz shows went up to only $64 and entertainment was aimed only at the ears. Mr. Charles Beaumont has given us a most unusual story called Static. We invite you to watch Mr. Dean Jagger uh, fiddle with a few of these knobs, 
change a few stations and find a couple of programs that are broadcast only in the twilight zone. So talk about the power of nostalgia. I think that's what this episode is going to be next. That's going to be a lot of fun. I've not seen this one. I think it's going to be pretty great. It's Beaumont. No. It's Kevin's favorite Sounds thing. interesting. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Yes. That's actually what? hilarious that it has Dean Jager in it because I just watched or rewatched the uh, film he did from 56 X the unknown, which if you ever, if you guys haven't seen it, it's an awesome, awesome movie from hammer. Oh, perfect. Right, nice. So there we go. Uh, the, the more you know. So, all right, again, Al Gore, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll see yeah, you again. Thank you. We'll see you thank next you season. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> for another Burgess Meredith next year. Uh, uh, well, no, it's going to be uh, at the end of season two. Oh, is it the obsolete yeah, man? Is that him? Yeah, he's in the very last episode oh, of season two. Okay, yeah. All right, well, we'll see you for the very end of season two. That'd be great. <laughs> and um, I, I did call my shot that uh, to return for the Bronson episode, which is the yeah, first episode of season three. <laughs> so if you back want, to back. If you just want to be a regular co-host on the show, that's the way to do it. So that'd be amazing. So well, we'll, you see, it was, it was my plan for Burgess Meredith, because then when you cover Twilight Zone, the movie, you have to bring me on because he was the narrator for that. Absolutely. I like that. Ah, I like it. It all comes I, together. I see your game now. <laughs> um all right so uh yeah thank you for coming on we'll see you for the obsolete man and everybody uh we'll see you next week for static and um i guess in the meantime do some amazing feats of strength and impress friends and neighbors yeah and if you go off sorry cut you off go. <laughs> don't be a masher don't be a masher. yeah i was gonna say if you go to the bar this weekend watch out for uh don rickles <laughs> <laughs> yeah hockey puck Nice seeing you. Where are you from? Venus, how about you? Mars, conducting experiments? Yeah, and you? Sudden introduction of strength to subnormal Earthman. How about you? Sudden introduction of extreme intelligence. Find any interesting subjects? That one over there, he's referred to as a dingle. He certainly is subphysical. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he's submental, too.